members of the group and other anti-Trump protesters were seen. You did it. Now prove it wrong. You did it. Because our government is tearing apart their families, Madam Speaker. Politics are often contentious. Excuse me, you don't get to interrupt me on this time. And we're living in an age of unparalleled polarization and anger. You are deceiving all the same Republicans who voted for six months. Tear them up. It seems our culture is fraying at the edges, including the church in America. Get a grip and learn how to govern the country. Is that something real? Supporters and opponents of Donald Trump. The gentleman and the gentleman will observe regular order. The gentleman will observe regular order. How can we be used for the kingdom to bring understanding and peace to our nation? How can we learn peace for ourselves? Good morning, Wilton Hills. So glad that uh, you made a, the decision to tune in here and be part of this service. Uh, I'm Greg Boyd, a teaching pastor here at Woodland Health Church, and it's just an honor to be able to pour into your lives uh, each weekend and uh, to be working with you to further the kingdom, what God's doing here. So on Friday, I was uh, out walking my dog. This week, in my opinion, my humble opinion, has been the most beautiful week weather-wise as you could possibly get. Leaves are changing. Oh, it's just beautiful out here. If you're not in Minnesota in the fall, well, then you're in the wrong place. I mean, this is just where it's happening. It's just been beautiful. Uh, so I'm out at this park. I walk my dog, and, and we, we go to this park and throw the Frisbee and play a little bit and whatever. And I'm not in a particular hurry because the weather's so wonderful. And at one point, uh, these four people came and sat at, at a picnic table in this park. It was, they were the only ones who were, who were there other than me. We're on one side, they're on the other. And um, uh, when they come in, you know, I, I hear they're laughing, joking, and it's, they look like they're all friends. And so they come and they sit down. And I'm not paying much attention to them. But at some point, I noticed that the laughing stopped. Uh, and in fact, the tone seemed to get more serious. And then it's almost like for every, every minute, you could see the conversation start, escalate a little bit more. It gets a little bit louder, a little bit more intense. People are talking a little faster. And then as their voice is getting louder, I can see what they're arguing about, and it's all the stuff that's going on right now in our country. You hear things like, how could you possibly believe that? That's been disproven a thousand times. And at one point, this guy starts kind of mocking, laughing at this uh, lady who's trying to, to make her point. And, uh, her voice is getting hoarse now because she's starting to strain so much, and she's starting kind of crying, but he keeps on mocking her. And, uh, and it just escalates and escalates and goes on at about 20 minutes or so. Uh, well, it kind of just melt, melts down. One lady gets up and walks away. They start throwing expletives at each other. And it was just so sad to watch. It's like, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, and I start praying for them, uh, that God's peace and shalom would come into that conversation because these folks are getting played. Our struggle, remember, is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Uh, the, the principalities and powers that are always trying to get us to identify the other human, the other flesh and blood, as the enemy. Because if we're shooting at human enemies, we're not shooting at them. If we're shooting at human enemies, we're being played by them. These are the powers that come only to kill, steal, and destroy. And the, the way they do it is by trying to cause humanity to implode in on itself, to turn against one another. They're being played. But that is sort of, I think, a, a microcosm of what is going on across the nation. 
In fact, to some degree, it's a microcosm of what's going on around the world. At least in all the countries where people have, are given a right to voice their opinion, in all democracies, right now we're seeing this polarization going on all over the place. It's quite scary. Some of it is due to the internet and social media. I'll be talking more about that next week, how they can become, for all the wonderful good that, that, that comes about through the internet and social media, Despite all that, they, they, they can be used as a tool of the enemy to deeply, deeply divide us. Um, and so we thought, given this polarized context in which we're in, we wanted to take a break from our series on the Sermon on the Mount and, um, and, and focus in on this. Uh, the question we're asking is this, in, 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 a, in a context that is as polarized and as fragmented and increasingly as dangerous as our current context is, what does it look like to be a faithful ambassador of a different kingdom, a representative of the kingdom of God? Uh, how, how should we be viewing this? How should we be conducting ourselves? And perhaps most importantly, how do we avoid getting sucked into it? So this morning I want to talk about something about how our brain works. And I want to show us why we are vulnerable to being played. Because if we don't understand how we're vulnerable, if we're not guarding against our vulnerabilities, we are going to be played. And if you're being played by the powers, you can't be a faithful ambassador of the kingdom of God. You'll be compromised. I, I, one other preliminary word I want to give here before I dive into the message is this. Um, I'm going to be taking a scientific look at the brain. So the geek factor in this message is a little higher than average, so have your thinking caps on. Uh, at one point, I'm going to be talking about the brain in evolutionary terms. I, I, I affirm the, the theory of evolution. I think the evidence for it is, is very, very, very strong. Um, but I'm aware, and I find it helpful to see it in those terms. And we at Wilderness Church here, we don't think that there's any conflict between faith and, and, and science. We think that those two are complementary. But I'm aware that there are folks who attend Wilderness Church, and undoubtedly folks who are listening in now, who don't, who don't believe the theory of evolution. And that's fine. I want to say that's fine. In fact, it may be that some listening here, uh, even saying the word evolution, you might have just got triggered a little bit. Because in some contexts, you're trained to see that those as fighting words. And so your, your reptilian brainstem sends out the chemical cocktail, fight or flight, when you hear the word evolution. And I want to encourage you just to take a deep breath, if, that's, if you're one of those folks. Take a deep breath. And, and here's the thing. Um, I, I know several folks at Woodland Hills who are uh, young earthers. Uh, and, and, and we've talked about that, and they're wonderful folks, and they're thoughtful folks. These aren't like knee-jerk fundamentalists or something. They just have a different opinion about this. Um, and, and, and we're cool with it. As long as it, it, it stays in the realm of opinion and doesn't become a doctrine, as long as it's in the realm of opinion doesn't become a, and doesn't become a litmus test for whether you're orthodox or not, how you interpret Genesis 1 shouldn't be the, the litmus test by which you decide who you're going to fellowship with or not. As long as that's in place, we're cool. We're cool. We can talk about it. You know, as time affords, but uh, there's no problem with that. I, I encourage you, if, if that's your view, to not, not make this a litmus test for whether you listen to this message or not. Um, because the main points I'm going to be making aren't dependent on your acceptance of the theory of evolution. I find it helpful to put in those terms, but if you don't, fine. You can still get something out of the message, and so stay tuned. All right. Uh, three passages I want to read. And just let it marinate sort of in your brain as you're listening to this message. The first is from Psalms 37, verse 8. It says, Bridle your anger, trash your wrath, cool your pipes. It only makes things worse. 
Uh, I'm, uh, this is from the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible, which I don't generally recommend people using, although when, when it comes to the Psalms and Proverbs, Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the message, really, I think, just sometimes rephrases in a way that really is helpful. So I'm using the message translation. It only makes things worse. What happens when your anger is not bridled? You're going to make the situation worse. Proverbs 29, verse 22 says, angry people stir up a lot of discord. And intemperate stir up trouble. When you're in an angry state, you're just going to sow more discord. And finally, uh, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. What does a sharp tongue do? Kindles a temper fire, in contrast to a soft, gentle answer. All right. So with that in mind, I'd like you to take a look at this, this photo. And ask the question, what is going on here? What's going on here? Now, on one level, you say, well, two people are arguing. Let's assume it's about politics. This is where most of the arguments are about these days. These two people are arguing. But why are they arguing? Why? And we probably would assume something like, well, because they're each convinced that their own views are right and the other person's wrong, so they're trying to persuade the other person uh, of, of the truth of their position. Is that really what's going on? We assume that that's going on because we tend to assume that we're pretty rational people. We do things for rational reasons and we believe things for rational reasons. So they're trying to rationalize and, 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 and convince the other person. But is that really what's going on here? Ask yourself this question. In the history of the universe, how many people have been persuaded to change their minds by having a shouting match? I've counted. It's zero. <laughs> In fact, scientifically, you can show why you can't be thinking rationally when you're in an amped up state. It just doesn't happen. Uh, we always think that our views are rational and the other person's irrational, but actually when you're amped up, when, when, when you're in an angry state, you're thinking, the thinking part of your brain just is not working. It's, it shuts down. It's, uh, we think that we're rational, we think that we believe things for rational reasons, but in fact, the science on this suggests that we're not nearly as rational as we, 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 we think. Uh, we have now, the, in neuroscience, the, the capacity of doing uh, imaging our, our, our brains. Uh, what part of the brains are functioning when? And we find that when it comes to decision making, uh, when, when someone is angry, uh, their, their reptilian brainstem, which is the most primitive part of the brain, reptilian, we share this in common with alligators, that part of our brain, brain sends out a chemical cocktail. When, when we're angry, when something's a threat to us or an obstacle to us, we get angry and that, that reptilian brainstem sends out a chemical cocktail that makes us want to fight or flee. It's there for that reason. Um, it's, uh, it, so we, we, we get amped up. And when that happens, our prefrontal lobe cortex, which does all of our reasoning, almost completely shuts down, sometimes completely shuts down. And there's an evolutionary explanation for this. Uh, when you're in a situation where you're threatened, this isn't the time to take your time to logically deliberate about things. No, your brain zeroes in on the threat and then amps you up to either fight or flee. You can't, the, the, the prefrontal lobe cortex, and remember these terms, prefrontal lobe cortex deals with reasoning. Uh, the reptilian brainstem is fight or flight. They don't operate at the same time. They can't. We're hardwired against that. So you, we may think that we're being rational, and we think we're trying to convince the other person, but, but actually, we, we know on some level that this isn't, this isn't how people get persuaded, get convinced. When you're amped up, there's no thinking going on. Whatever else is going on when the two people are having a shouting match, thinking rationally about truth is not one of them. So why are they doing it? 
All behavior serves a purpose, right? So what's the purpose of this behavior if it's not really to rationally persuade somebody else of your opinion? What's really going on? What's really going on from a scientific perspective is far more primal. It serves a purpose, but it's a primal purpose. So from a strictly scientific perspective, there really is not much distinction between two human beings who are triggered, who are amped up, who are speaking out of their reptilian brainstem, and two gorillas who are amped up uh, and fighting. They, 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 they go side by side. The same kind of things are happening. In both cases, uh, the reptilian brainstem is sending out a chemical cocktail that's making them big. And they're, in both cases, trying to intimidate the other person or the other gorilla, hoping that they'll flee. Someone's got to retreat here. Someone's got to win. And if, if intimidation doesn't work, if pounding your chest doesn't work, if roaring doesn't work, well, then it comes to fisticuffs and, and biting. And you do that until someone leaves or someone's dead. Same thing that goes on with grills is going on with us. Think of it like this. When you're amped up, the most unique part of you, the, 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 the you, most uniquely human part of you, uh, your higher uh, cognitive functions, your reasoning, that part disappears. And now you're basically reduced down to the level of a gorilla. So when we're amped up, we are going gorilla on the other person. We're pounding our chest. We're roaring. It's a primal thing. We, we believe we're being rational and the other person's being irrational, but in fact, no one's being rational because that rational part of our brain has gone away. Now, this isn't to say that a reptilian brainstem is bad. Well, that's evil, the sinful part of us or something like that. Uh, no, it, it, like everything else in us, it serves a purpose. Its purpose is to protect us from threats. When there's a threat there, sometimes we need to go gorilla or we need to go gazelle because we got to run, run away. Uh, a friend of mine, Thomas J. Ord, uh, he's a theologian. He's written uh, some good books. I disagree with him on a few things, but overall, I think he's on the right track. And um, he's not only a theologian, but he likes to go out hiking for weeks at a time sometimes. And he's a photographer. In fact, he's an incredible photographer, if you ask me. Uh, he, if you go to his website, uh, Thomas J. Ord, O-O-R-D, um, you'll find he's got a gallery of his photos, and there's, some of them are fantastic. I was there on that gallery uh, uh, this last week, and I found this picture. He takes a wonderful picture of this bear heading towards him. Now, I told him in so many words, dude, here's the thing. Anybody who has a bear running at them and sees it as a photo opportunity has got something wrong with their head. Uh, either you've got a defective prefrontal lobe cortex because you're not thinking straight, or you've got a defective reptilian brainstem because it's not sending out the chemicals that ought to be being sent out here because any normal person facing that would be amped up immediately and you're either going to get big and, 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 and stand the bear down or you're going to try to run. And I'm told, I'll share this with you at no extra cost, uh, in case you sometime come upon a bear while out hiking in the woods, I'm told that the former is, gives you a better chance of surviving than the latter. So get big, get tall, and try to... I'm told, I, you know, I may be wrong on that, but I may have just saved your life should you come encounter a bear. So we need that amygdala. Uh, the, the amygdala and the uh, in, uh, rep, 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 reptilian brainstem. I don't want to get into the whole mechanism, how the amygdala interacts with the reptilian brainstem, blah, 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 blah. Besides, I, I asked you to read The Righteous Mind last week, you may recall. So I'm sure you've already read all about this, and this is just a review. So there you go. Uh, it, but it's meant to be used on rare occasions. Uh, in fact, it's not even good for our brain when, that, uh, when our reptilian brainstem is sending out chemical cocktails too often. It has a, a corrosive effect on it uh, on, on occasion. But it's never appropriate to go gorilla when in conversations with another person. Because that, 
as the scripture says, uh, when you're coming at this angry, um, you're only going to make things worse. In fact, we know that when you're having these shouting matches, um, far from convincing the other person, we tend to lock the other person in on their perception of us. Our anger justifies in their mind uh, their negative view of us, and it deepens their own resolve against you. So you think you're, 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 you're furthering your case by getting angry at the person who disagrees with you, when in fact you're hurting your case. You're strengthening the other side. So lock this in. If you want to influence somebody, and as kingdom people, we do, right? If you want to be, have any kind of persuasion on another person, you have to keep them thinking. And to keep them thinking, it means they, neither of you can have your reptilian brainstem activated. Once that reptilian brainstem gets activated, no good will come of it. You, you, that's not, no persuasion is going to happen there. You'll only make things worse. Uh, Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, uh, do it all in love. Do everything in love. And love, of course, looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Here's how we know what love is. 1 John 3.16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so also we should lay down our life for one another. And so everything we do, everyone say everything. Everything, everything we do, which would include having debates, uh, is to be done in love. Which means, well, other people may come into this game, this arguing game, with the, the, the goal of winning Scoring points, whatever. Our first goal has got to be to love. To make sure that the way that we debate reflects the worth of the other person. We acknowledge that worth. We agree with God that they have unsurpassable worth. And our main job is to reflect that. And so as I often say around here, uh, if you find yourself in a debate where you're getting triggered, where your heart rate's starting to amp up and, and, and your voice is raising and all that, do the kingdom of God a favor and stop. Shut up. Take a break. Take a couple deep breaths. Come back to the discussion 20 minutes later. Uh, but uh, don't proceed on with that anger because nothing good will come of it. It only stirs up more trouble. You say things that you don't really mean. Relationships get damaged. No good will come of it. So here's the thing. We, we on some level, I think, all know that shouting matches don't persuade people, right? And yet we keep on doing it. Why are we so vulnerable to this? So at this point, I want to dig a little deeper in the science. And here I'll be pulling stuff uh, from The Righteous Mind, which you all read this week. Uh, it's a great book. I, I really encourage you to read it if you haven't already. Um, now, I taught on this last summer a little bit, and Sandra mentioned it a couple weeks ago. So some of this will be review, but it's a very, very important review. Uh, and uh, I've got a few new insights that I didn't have last summer uh, that I want to weave into this. So stay tuned, even if it is review. So here's the thing. According to standard evolutionary theory, uh, our brains have been evolving for about 250 million years. Uh, and it starts with the reptilian brainstem. Uh, if you get down to the reptiles, about all they have is that reptilian brainstem. That's the kind of pretty much their whole brain. And, and so they, the only time they ever think is in fight or flight mode. But as, uh, as evolution unfolded, the farther up you find an animal on the, kind of the, the evolutionary tree, the more complex the brain becomes. It builds on that reptilian brainstem. And so the animals are able to have more complex emotions. Uh, it's all about assessing what is beneficial or what is a threat in their environment. That's what our brains are um, uh, attuned to do. But they become better at th that and more sophisticated at that as time goes on. And when you get to the higher primates, you have the beginnings of uh, what, what, what we would call reasoning. 
They're able to make tools and uh, rudimentary tools and, and things of that sort. So for 250 million years, our brains evolve without any reasoning, uh, on the basis of intuition, on the basis of feeling. Uh, that's, that's how animals march forward. What we call reasoning, our higher cognitive functions, uh, are really pretty recent. Uh, they estimate about 100,000 years ago is when those higher cognitive functions began to kick in right around there. We, we have what was called the human uh, homo sapien cognitive revolution. There seems like a, we took a quantum leap forward on the intellectual scale of things. And so the analogy that Jonathan uh, Haidt uh, uses in The Righteous Mind, the analogy he uses is between an elephant and a rider. Most of our brain is that elephant that's been evolving for 250 million years. Uh, it operates on the basis of intuition, on the basis of emotion. 100,000 years to 70,000 years ago or so, we began to develop this reason. And, and, and these two are to cooperate together. Now, we think that our reasoning is there to steer the elephant, right? Because we're rational people. We think rational thoughts. We do things for rational reasons. So we think we're steering the elephant. But as a matter of fact, from a strictly scientific point of view, um, we're not. Uh, from a strictly scientific point of view, the, the, the reason evolved, according to the dominant theory now, to serve the elephant, and it serves the elephant in two ways. Number one, reason's job is to help the elephant get what it wants. The elephant intuits, I want to go in this direction. So reason says, okay, I'll help you. Here's how we do it. And so it helps the elephant get what it, what it wants. The second thing is that it justifies the elephant getting what it wants. Uh, it provides reasons for the elephant doing what it wants to do. We think that we're doing things for these reasons when, in fact, the decisions to do those things was made by your elephant on an intuitional level. And now you, you function, our reasoning functions as sort of the PR department, the public relations department of, uh, uh, of the elephant. It provides reasons for the elephant doing what it just did. It's not the driver, it's a rider. We find reasons for what we do. We don't do things, generally speaking, we don't do things for those reasons, though we think we're doing them for those reasons. Um, I had a, a, about a 10-minute talk where I was going to unpack all the scientific evidence for this and the argumentation for it, and then I realized that I'm kind of just indulging my inner geek, and probably most people wouldn't find that very interesting. Uh, and I wanted to save a, a lot of time for our incredible panel that we're going to have after this. It's going to, we've really got a team A here, I think. Uh, and, and so I, I had to cut that all out, but you've already read the book, so, you know, this is review anyways, right? So we think we steer, but science tells us a different story. We're, we're not nearly as rational as, as, as we think. Now, here's the thing. If that was the whole story, that our reason always just justifies the elephant getting what it wants, it would mean that we are incurably irrational if that was the whole story. If that's the whole story, we never do anything for strictly rational reasons. It's always just PR department stuff. And that leads to all sorts of philosophical havoc that I don't need to get into. But here's the thing, it's not the whole story. Uh, and even science confirms this. We now know that reason, this latecomer into this game, it is able to tell the elephant what to do. It can steer the elephant, it just hardly ever does that. It's a muscle we hardly ever flex. And we hardly ever do it because it's hard. That elephant is one stubborn beast, man. For 250 million years, it's been going on, getting along just fine on the basis of feelings and intuition. And now comes this latecomer and it's going to tell it what to do. It doesn't like it. It doesn't like it. But it can be done. 
There's no uh, consensus in science about how we're able to do this. In fact, I'm not sure science will ever be able to say how we do this. It may be a part of us that transcends what science can measure. But, it, it, but we can do that. It's just that it takes discipline to do that. And not just discipline in the moment. It takes discipline over time. Uh, training on taming your elephant, which, by the way, is what the title of this message is, is called. It's uh, taming, what, what, what was the title for this message? Taming the Raging Elephant. Is that right? All right, so... Uh, that, that takes discipline over time to b- develop that muscle and become competent at that. And this, folks, is what the Bible tells us to do. Uh, this is why the Bible so emphasizes uh, the importance on being aware of and in control of what you think. So we're told to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12. Uh, we're told, that, uh, Paul says, whatever things are good, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are wise, whatever things are beautiful, think on those things. Which means if it's not true and noble, good, wise, and beautiful, don't think on those things. But it assumes that we're in control of that. Second uh, Corinthians 10, Paul says that uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual to the tearing down of strongholds whereby we come against every thought and imagination that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we bring every thought captive to Jesus Christ. The fact that the Bible tells us what to think presumes that we have the power to control what we think, which means we have the power to make rational decisions for rational reasons. We have the power to say no to this elephant. In fact, this is, I think, the most important kind of discipleship we could ever be involved in because if you don't change what's going on between your ears, you're going to have a hard time changing any of the other part of your life. Everything we do externally is a manifestation of what's going on internally. Discipline of the mind, I think, is a foundational uh, discipline for us to be involved in. So we can control, we can tame this elephant. It's just that we hardly ever do it. Some people, I don't think, have ever flexed that muscle. They're not even aware that they have that muscle. So they go through their whole life thinking that they're steering the elephant when in fact they're riding the elephant and the elephant's the one making the decisions on the basis of intuition. So with all that in mind, let's look at that photo one more time. Two people arguing, having a shouting match. What is really going on? These folks think they're operating out of their rider. They think that they're, they, they've rationally steered their elephant to the conclusion that they came to. But the truth is that they, unless they've been disciplined in their thinking, and the fact that they're having this shouting match tells me that they haven't been, uh, unless they've been disciplined in their thinking, then what's true is that they actually rode their elephant there. The elephant is the one who, who steered the whole thing. What's true is that they've been helping their elephant get what the elephant wants. And what's true is that they've been justifying this elephant getting what it wants. So think of it like this. The rider, every step of the way, every step that elephant takes on the basis of its intuition, its feeling, the rider is there saying, here, I'll help you do that. And the rider is saying, good job. That was a smart movement. Here's why you did that. Oh, here's why you did that. That was a brilliant move. Oh, here's why you did that. All the while thinking that the elephant's going according to our command, but in fact, we're just retroactively justifying the elephant. And that's why. Listen to this point. It's an important one. As your elephant's walking along and you're congratulating the elephant on how smart it is and how good it is, and then you attract other people uh, into your life, especially in the days of the internet now, you, you can get surround yourself with people who are like-minded. So they're congratulating you too, and you're congratulating them. So you, have a, you develop a righteous, uh, look how smart we are, look how true we are club. And if you're not in dialogues with people who fundamentally disagree with you, well, now, now your beliefs become obviously true. It's that confirmation bias. It becomes obvious. 
And if you stay in this mode, you begin to lose the capacity to even entertain the possibility that a smart person, a rational person, could ever disagree with you. It's so obvious. And so when you're riding along and one elephant's obvious truth collides with another elephant's obvious truth, what do you get? You get an elephant fight. You get angry because now both elephants are an obstacle to the elephant getting what they want. And what they want is to be right more than anything else. But here's the thing. Riders, if you step back with that perspective, these folks who are arguing, they, they think that they're right. Each of them thinks that they steered their elephant to this point. And they think they're arguing rationally rider to rider. When in fact, the riders probably had nothing to do with the elephants being where they are. They, they just rode the elephant there. So it's an irrelevant, it's one more reason why people are never persuaded out of shouting matches. They're not the one driving the thing, which means if you have any hope of persuading a person, um, don't talk to the rider, especially once they're amped up. Uh, when the, the elephants get amped up, which they immediately do when they are f facing a threat, uh, an obstacle to them getting what they want, once they're amped up, those riders are put out of commission, basically. Reasoning's not working here. They are reduced to being nothing more than the mouthpiece for a roaring elephant. That's what it's mouthpiece for chest pounding. If you want to persuade a person, you have to talk to the elephant. Now, here's the thing. Uh, our elephants go in different directions for a million different reasons. Experiences we've had, upbringing, a little bit of hardwiring, and there's free decisions and all the rest. So we can take very different paths, but at heart, our elephants all want the same thing. Uh, the elephant wants <coughs> uh, to survive, which means adequate food and shelter and those basic needs need to be taken care of. <coughs> The elephant also wants to, be, to feel like it's worthwhile. We all need that. Feel like it's, we're significant. Feel like we matter. We want some respect. We want a sense of belonging. Fundamental needs of the elephant, and they're all the same. And the only hope of persuading a person, then, is to address the needs of the elephant. And those needs of the elephant are basically the same needs that drive your, your elephant. We, we all have this in common. And what the elephants fear is not getting those things or losing those things that they have. That's how the elephants get triggered. So the only hope of persuading someone is to befriend their elephant. Address the needs of the, the, the elephant. Leg affirm the legitimacy of the fear that they have, of the concerns that they have, of, of, uh, of, of, of the desires that they have, the wants that they have. Those are legitimate and affirm those. And see, here's what happens. As long as the two riders are arguing, their elephants are pulling back from one another. They're like getting ready to pounce, right? Um, it creates a distance. It only makes things worse, as the scripture says. It only creates more distance. It only solidifies the other person in their convictions against you. But when you address the needs of the elephant, you, share, you show concern for them as a person. When you take it out of the realm of conflicting opinions and, and make it just two human beings talking about human needs and human concerns, well, that causes the elephant to lean in towards you. That their elephant operates on the basis of emotion. And this is what the elephant wants. And if you start addressing that, you start affirming the legitimacy of, of their concerns, the elephant begins to lean towards you. And it may confuse the rider. Because that rider's still going to be amped up on the chemical cocktail sent out by the reptilian brainstem. And the, the rider wants to hate you, but all of a sudden it becomes harder. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where you're mad at someone, but they just won't let you stay mad. They're too nice. It's like, no! Give me reasons to keep on hating you. Uh, but when you address the needs of the elephant, the elephant leans towards you. And so it's so important. 
instead of trying to find, to, to find a unity at the top with our, with our arguing, instead of trying to get them to agree with you in opinions, which always makes things worse if you're doing it in an angry way, we're going to go in the opposite direction. Uh, we meet at the bottom. Uh, we come in low. We, we, we meet human to human, person to person, uh, affirming the worth of the person in all that we say, uh, and, and affirming the needs and the concerns of the person. There'll be time to talk about opinions on how to go out meeting those needs, only, however, only when uh, you're both calmed down and not amped up and your, you're looking at it in a rational perspective. We try to find unity in our brokenness, our vulnerability, our mutual fragility, uh, our mutual concerns. But that requires guarding your heart very carefully to not get pulled into the powers, not get sucked into the polarization of our environment. And it means that whereas others come in big, they once you tap into that gorilla part of you, that reptilian brainstem, you want to come in big, but we're to come in small. You want to come in on top, but we're to come in low. Uh, you want to get loud and you want to get proud, but, but we need to come in quiet and, 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 and humble. Uh, as it says in Proverbs 15, the, the gentle answer diffuses anger. Okay, that's the way forward, the gentle answer. Don't talk... Address the concerns of the elephant and do it in a humble, gentle way. That doesn't trigger their, their, their amygdala. I'll, I'll end with this, and then we're going to have our team A come up here to discuss some practical matters. Um, you, you all know Delon. Most of you do. Delon's one of our worship leaders. Uh, great guy. I've known him for about four years. Just an outstanding person. And, and uh, he's a principal of a school in Roseville. And some of you may have heard this uh, in a local paper. Uh, they published that there was a lawsuit against this school. And it had to do, if, if I'm getting my facts right, uh, uh, with a, a, a particular teacher who had allegedly disciplined some black students in ways that seemed discriminatory and inappropriate. Um, and then according to this lawsuit, as it's reported in this paper, uh, Delon allegedly had told one of the students uh, not to tell their parents, tried to cover it up. Well, as you might expect, um, the next morning, uh, Dylan has a lot of interesting uh, messages on his voice messaging box. Uh, there are some very angry parents, hostile parents there, uh, leaving very nasty messages, some insinuating a certain racism on his part. Uh, it seems like they assumed that he was white because the, the paper didn't mention his ethnicity, and Dylan Smith could be, you know, is it, doesn't necessarily show his, his ethnicity. And so they left some rather nasty uh, messages instead of racism. Well, I'm sure that Dilan, as great a Christian as he is, he must have initially, I've, I've, I've been in these situations, it's hard not to get triggered when you hear these messages first thing in the morning, good morning, you are nothing but a whatever. And that primal part of us wants to like, oh yeah, yeah, you think so? Thankfully, Dilan did the right thing. Uh, I, I spoke with him about this last week and he, he was sharing how uh, he called all these people back and that takes some courage. And, and he came in low, not high. He came in soft, not hard. Came in small, not big. Uh, he started by sharing uh, how, why he got into teaching in the first place uh, and how important it is for uh, black kids to have role models in positions of authority. And he shared some of his own struggles with this. And he addressed their concerns. What are your worries? What are, and those are the same things that, 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 that he's involved in, that, that he has had to wrestle with as he's aspired to get in this position. And they talked human to human. 
And they shared about the brokenness of uh, the educational system here in Minnesota where we have the greatest discrepancy between outcomes for black kids and white kids of any, of any state in the nation. And they talk about that. And in doing that, see, he wasn't able to share his side of the story because of the lawsuit. But by coming in low and, 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 and talking to their elephant, he was able to win allies, uh, trust. And now these folks are, are, especially the parents of the black kids, are, are his allies now. That is the kingdom way of going about it. Hats off to Delon, good job. Let's give him a hand. I mean, that is, you're not just a role model for kids, man. You're a role model for all of us. That's how we should approach these things from a kingdom perspective. All right. I want to introduce to you. Yeah. Oh, hi, Sean. I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Um, I, I first want to introduce Lammers Fisher. Uh, he's been going to Woodland Hills for four years, and I just now found out about you. I love this guy. He's a therapist at... Uh, Christian Heart Counseling in Stillwater. So if you need a therapist, there's a good one to go to. Uh, and you're also a, uh, you, you train on cultural diversity and uh, things like that. Is there a name for that? that? Diversity Made Simple. Diversity Made Simple. There you go. So check this out. And then, of course, Kevin Calligan is up here. And we all know him and love him. So where should I sit here? <laughs> I turn it over to Shauna. <laughs> Trying to figure we out where to sit. We are such a well-oiled Oh, we're professional all the way. so good. <laughs> Uh, thank Slick. you all for being here. Uh, thank you for sending in your questions. So today, this is what we're tackling. We have a few questions that had come in prior to the sermon, just because of the series and people know what we're talking we're about. So we want to address some of those. We've had some that have come in through the live chat. So we're going to address some of Ooh. those and also some that have been texted in. So we've got some avenues to approach, Excellent. <laughs> to pull from, all right? So we're so thankful for Lambers being here. Thank you so much. We're thankful for Kevin being here. Always thankful for you. Thank you, thank you. And yes, we are thankful for Greg being here as well. She had to say that. <laughs> I get paid to say that. Really, it's from the heart. All right, and so I want to, um, as a way of kind of introducing your voice to everyone, Lambers, I'm gonna go to you first, all right. okay? Um, and I'm gonna just be very honest and say, that I have been a part of Woodland Hills for several years, been under our teaching and our theology, and, and it has really shaped so much of who I am. However, when Greg has said things like um, going low and not high, uh, even today he talked about uh, coming in small and not big, initially that was really jarring for me to hear because I just, I pictured it as being subservient and kind of being a uh, doormat, mm -hmm. like coming in and like you, yes, whatever you say. <laughs> and that was a really uh, difficult thing for me to hear and process through. I mean, I, now I understand, but I'm wondering, just in case there's anyone else out there who maybe has those same initial reactions to hearing that kind of language, can you help unpack that a little bit? Sure, sure. It's, it's, a, it's a common uh, misconception when we hear, you know, uh, when others go high, you go low. But sometimes if uh, we think of that, that picture, the, the bear coming at you, uh, and, yeah. the, and the common, common uh, response, get big. It's like, well, if it's a bear, yeah. But in daily life, we're not encountering bears. We're not encountering people who are really intending to harm us. And oftentimes, it's someone who feels like they have to go bear, they have to go high to protect themselves first. And so if you let them know that you don't have to do that, then you can go in low. But going low doesn't mean you have to uh, be subservient. Go in fearful, uh, go in saying, I'm less than you. It, please allow me to, to speak my voice at all as much as not going high, not going less than, but having mutual respect. Having a way to say, I want to hear you just as much as I want to be heard. Matter of fact, go low in this sense may just mean I'm going to let you go first. 
I'm going to let you get that out because maybe you're in your reptilian brain, you're getting that yeah. rep get out. And I'm going to let you get that energy out, that emotional energy out. And I'm not just going to say, okay, are, are you done yet? Uh, you, my, my turn. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to let you be heard. I want to reflect what I hear so that you can feel heard, not just for your benefit. That's the, the love gesture we can give. But if I have any desire to be heard when I speak, it's best for me to plant some seeds into fertile soil of you feeling heard first so that we can both be heard. That's what go low practically means is I don't need to be above you. My opinion isn't worth more than yours. My point isn't uh, wholeheartedly better than yours. We both have opinions for various reasons for based on life experiences and we have a reason to believe certain things. I do as do you. I deserve to be heard. So do you. How can we both get that? And if you're not at a place to initiate that, I'll go first. I will show you that that's what my true intention is. And hopefully, like I said, they'll be, they might be pleasantly surprised and say, wait, you're not trying to put me down? I, I don't have to fight for the legitimacy of my feelings? Oh, what did you have to say again? <laughs> now I'm ready yeah, to hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can set the tone, but it starts off with a, you having the, the self-esteem kind of like, uh, Nan Kent's uh, confident humility. It's like being humble isn't less than. You can start off saying low in respect, just not high. And if you do that, if you cultivate that on a regular basis, it doesn't have to be something you turn on. It's like, good. okay, wait, wait, what was I supposed to do then? Right, mm. you're doing that on a regular basis. I'm trying to help everybody I'm communicating with feel heard. I'm playing to see, I'm making it a habit so that when somebody really comes in needing it, it's like, oh, good thing I practiced this. Right, exactly. I know how to do that. And then you can be pleasantly surprised and it can set the tone for everybody feeling heard from the very beginning without me losing my sense of self, mm. without me being like less that. than my feeling. Well, no, I, I'm supposed to go low. My feeling's supposed to be less. It's like I'm supposed to go respectful. Mm. I'm supposed to go showing that love, that humanness that you're talking about. And if you're doing that, then nobody's fearing who's higher. We're all at a level worthy of respect and feeling heard. Then it's a matter of so what are we saying? That's great. That's yeah. great. I, I, I think there's a cultural piece to this mm -hmm. in that, um, like, for, for, for me to hear go low, that's fine. Because uh, I, but I, I haven't been told all my life that I have to go low. Right. You know, like, you, right. you have to be put in your place, whatever. Yeah. And it's just it's good to hear from a different cultural perspective. I, I did the same thing with self-sacrificial love. Mm -hmm. I, I talk about how, you know, it's about you know, laying down your life for others. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, over time, I got feedback from some people of color who were saying, well, that sounds like what white folks have been saying to people of color throughout our history. Mm -hmm. and, and so now I have to be aware of that. And I still use those terms, but I always want to clarify it, that right. self-sacrificial love is virtuous when you choose to do it. Yeah. Uh, but if it's if something that's forced on you, well, that, that's just dehumanizing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it illustrates kind of the importance of getting on the inside of other people's cultural needs, listening to how they'll hear things. Absolutely. It was so great to hear that perspective. Go mutual respect. Because yeah, nice. if we're so caught up in what does he mean by go low, then right. we can't get to the benefit of what we're talking about. Right, right. Indeed. Did you have a little more? Lambos? Well, when you brought up the cultural piece, oftentimes we think about culture as just uh, ethnicity. But I've heard a similar conversation with uh, gender yep. or with age yep. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're too young. You shouldn't be as loud. You're, you're female. You should keep it a little bit less. It's like, no, how about we can convey mutual respect all around at every opportunity. Yeah. Who in your environment has had an experience of not being heard? Mm -hmm. Well, let's make sure we help them feel heard. You might be pleasantly surprised at what you find out. And yeah, mm -hmm. it starts yeah. there, but it expands to many different yeah, uh, yeah. differences in environments. And if we're doing that on a regular basis, then good. We're, all, we're all edified as a result. That's Amen. Great. Amen. I like that. Well, Greg, you talked a little bit about evolution in your sermon. I did. And you did. And people on the online chat during the live chat uh, would like for you to just 
clarify what you mean by that a little bit? Um, and, and there's not a specific question, just, okay, sure. what's he talking about here? Can he clarify? Well, it's simply bit. the view that, that, I mean, this is the topic where uh, when I was a new Christian, I was told that Genesis 1 had to be literal or the whole Bible is a book of lies. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and so I took a, my, my first biology class at the U University of Minnesota was on evolution. And I, I, I came in all amped up, ready to fight, because I was going to convert the professor in the whole class, don't you know? Because I read three whole books don't defending you know. it. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I was an idiot. And, and th this professor was, uh, you know, he kind of illustrated the point I was making in this message where he was so nice, because I thought I'm going to go battle the evil evolutionist, you know, and I was expecting some ornery, God-hating person. This guy was so nice. And even, you know, and I came every class with my, my three by five cards, uh, you know, with my, so if you made a point that I had an argument about, I'd raise my hand and argue with him. And even when the class started getting really irritated with me, you tell him to shut up so we can learn some things, he would defend me. I hated it. It's like, I want to not like you, but you're making it very hard to, to not like. But uh, um, I finally became convinced that, that uh, the evidence for it, I just had to accept it, which unfortunately at that point, and I had to give up my faith, and I lost my faith for, for about a year. I now don't think that there's any incompatibility between the evidence for evolution and, and, and faith in God and the Bible and, and all the rest. I don't want to get into how to reconcile those things, but um, I, I believe God is involved in the whole process. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's not like naturalistic evolution that just goes forward on the basis of natural selection and, and, and whatever. I, I think God directs the process. I also think that there are principalities and powers that are at work in this uh, to corrupt uh, uh, God's objectives. Uh, and that's, I think, where, where illnesses, infirmities, and all the rest, uh, where death ultimately comes from. But, you know, I think God's directing the whole thing. I, I see the whole process as, as God always, you know, whatever the enemy intends for evil, God uses for good. And so it, it, I, the whole process, I think, displays God's intelligence, his, 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 uh, his ability to outwit the enemy and to arrive at his goals despite this constant enemy interference. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my... Sometimes it's referred to as theistic evolution or something like that. But that's yeah, I'd like to jump on that too. So, uh, and, and there might have been, as you started your message off, Greg, there might be some people who were triggered and then now that whole amygdala and you know, that, that elephant and the fight, the raging elephant fight might be kicking in. But the strength of the argument that Greg made for this concept of the elephant and the rider, who, which one is driving who, doesn't rise or fall based on whether or not you believe in evolution. Right. Right. Because the interesting thing is, is that our personal experiential brain development is a parallel, it's on a parallel track to that idea of human evolutionary development yes. of our brains. And so there's no question that our brains develop as individuals, our brains develop in that same way. The reptilian brainstem right. is the first thing that forms in the womb, and then the limbic system is forming around that. And then our neocortex, our prefrontal cortex, is the latest thing to develop and form. It's still forming into our early 20s. That's and so our personal experience mirrors that evolutionary uh, narrative that you talked about for humanity. Mm -hmm. Before we have the cognitive ability to really think and to choose higher values and goals, our reptilian and, uh, and limbic system brains are, I like to call it our staying alive brain, our um, be, don't worry, be happy brain, and our all you need is love brain. And the, the staying alive brain is the just surviving. We all we want is survival. That's all we can think about. Don't worry, be happy is that part of our brain where we're trying to avoid fear and threats and pursue pleasure and fun. And then, but what we really mostly need is this agape love kind of thing, which is we're going to talk about a little bit later. Connecting is really what we long, most deeply long for, mutual connecting. Mm -hmm. But our individual personal development, our brains follow that same pattern. So the yeah. elephant metaphor still applies. It still works regardless of where you stand on evolution. 
our our growth pattern recapitulates the evolutionary process Absolutely, if you yep. accept that evolutionary yeah. process. Yeah. Good point. Thank you, guys. Uh, you mentioned, Greg, and also Lambert, a little bit in your first uh, answer mentioned about the just training our brain, mental discipline, to not react in the moment. Um, and it, it, is, it does take training and it does take discipline. And so how would you guide those who are watching and hearing that? What would you say to them, like how they can get in the, in the practice of doing that? Uh, that's a really good question. I, I'll say two things about it. Um, one thing is just to be, start practicing telling yourself what to think. Uh, most folks, generally, we sort of inherit a narrative from the world, you know, and, and, and we, we don't question the narrative that we're given. That's just sort of the, and so that's what the tapes that we run on our brain. And our brain is running tapes 24-7. I mean, it, it never stops thinking. It's yapping all the time, reinforcing whatever narrative it inherited. But we're not supposed to inherit a world's narrative, right? We're supposed to get our narrative from the revelation of God in, in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that means that we need to be exercising the truth in our head to combat whatever lies that we've inherited from this world. So I encourage folks, even throughout the day, um, remind yourself who you are in Christ. Uh, you know, remind yourself that you're an ambassador. Throughout the day, remind yourself that you'll be a blessing machine, every person you come in contact with, uh, to remember that, to agree with God, that that person was, has unsurpassable worth because Jesus was willing to die for them. And so it, the transformation by the re renewing of your mind is something that I encourage folks to, to, to kind of sprinkle in throughout the day. But there's also a, a more specialized way of, of being disciplined in your mind, and these are just two of a number of different ways, but um, I encourage folks in prayer, see prayer sometimes as a rehearsal for life. Uh, I encourage folks to envision situations where you're least kingdom, where you're least Christian, where you least look like Jesus, the situations that trigger you, that really trip you up. And in your imagination, and ask the Holy Spirit to help you with this, envision yourself in that situation. But now this time you don't respond the way you have in the past, where you lose your temper and cool, whatever. Uh, this time, ask God to give you a, a, a vision of this. You respond the way Jesus would. You respond in a kingdom way. Uh, what do you look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like when you respond to your ornery boss in, 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 in ways that reflect the kingdom rather than your, your reptilian brainstem? And then affirm as you're seeing this, this, this you uh, responding in a Christ-like way, affirm that that is true because it is true. You know, you, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. you, you your life is in Christ. And uh, all the things that the Bible says about you shows that you have the capacity to do this. That's what faith is all about. Faith is a vision, is Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's a vision that you hold in a substantial way, in a concrete way, that creates you this conviction that it is so. And see, if you don't practice for it, you'll never be able to do it. And so uh, this is flexing that muscle uh, that we're supposed to be flexing, bringing every thought captive to Christ, all of our behavior uh, uh, to Christ, all of our attitudes captive to Christ. Mm. Uh, in, in practice that in, in prayer. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. We had someone email in, and I'm hoping, um, I, I, think, I think it tracks with what you're saying right now, and I'm hoping, Lambers and Kevin, you can um, tag on to this. But he mailed it, emailed in, he's a part of our community, been around Woodland for a while, and, and he was just very honest in saying he's just, he wants to be talked off the ledge because he's really... Um, finding less and less tolerance for very specifically people who are responding to um, 
the differences politically that we're experiencing, he, people who are responding by, uh, with riots and looting mm-hmm. and the violence that accompanies that, and it's making it hard for him to see those that he sees responsible for perpetrating that um, in any kind of kingdom way. Yeah. And so, um, and he, he listed some specific groups, but I don't think that's important. I think we all have um, sure. situations that we can relate to. And so I'm just wondering, can you guys help, like he said, talk him off the ledge? Because at this point, he's not even able to want to engage elephant to elephant. Oh, I don't I think I a don't lot think. of people are, yeah. and it's... And I think yeah. as, as was said, Greg made it clear in his message that responding elephant to elephant is the problem. And so if we speak from a higher place to our own elephant or to the other's elephant, that's really the goal there. Because the problem is responding elephant to elephant. It's just reacting versus responding. Mm-hmm. Um, we all want to be right, and being right makes us feel good. And, and being made to look wrong makes us feel bad, so we're all wanting to avoid that. But what we're called to, this is our opportunity as kingdom ambassadors to shine that Jesus kind of light of not just being right, but doing right-relatedness and practicing agape love and understanding mutual care, compassion, and understanding. And that means we're not responding elephant to elephant. We're responding from our highest desires and values and, and that Holy Spirit-shaped part of our life that transformed into the image of God part of us to the elephants. First, our own. I think we respond to our elephant, our own elephant first. If I'm getting triggered and reacted, yeah. reacting, I need to talk my elephant, meet my elephant where it's at from a higher place. And then I can now help meet you where you're at and under, with understanding and compassion. And I think that's the key. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that um, I've seen a lot of, or a lot of years doing marriage counseling is the, the dilemma between uh, the legitimate feelings that we have mm-hmm. versus how they're expressed. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times you get into an argument and somebody says something angrily and they say something yelling and the other person responds to the yelling and says, I don't appreciate you talking to me like that way. Mm-hmm. And then if you get behind it, it's almost like a desperate plea to say, I know, you don't have to yell at me, you don't have to defend, I know that the way I said it wasn't the healthiest way, but can you just hear what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. behind it? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they need a third party to help with that, but once they get to the practice of being able to do it themselves, the conversations get a lot more healthy. And then as I've trained other therapists to, to help other people, especially in these recent times of riots and protests, I've gotten to this uh, oversimplified view of a, of, a, uh, of a riot being an unhealthy expression of a legitimate feeling yeah. versus a protest being a healthy expression of a still legitimate feeling. Mm-hmm. The feelings are legitimate either way, but sometimes how we express it may go a little bit too far. And so we, if we focus on just the expression of the feeling, then yes, we can say, well, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. And you see how that's not helpful to anybody. You see how that's not even helpful to you because now you have to right. go clean up those efforts after the fact. And there's validity to all of that. Right. But if we focus there, then we've missed the legitimate feeling underneath. And if we take time to see, why did you feel so compelled to do that? Well, I tried to express it this way, and it wasn't heard. And I tried to express it this way, and it wasn't heard. (laughs) And I tried to get it louder, and it wasn't heard. And it wasn't heard, it wasn't heard. Well, now I have to shout. Now I have to break. Now I have to do something because I'm trying to be heard. And if we focus on that, then we can say, let's get ahead of this. How can we make sure everybody's feeling heard way before we get there? And nobody's going to say, man, you know Mm -hmm. what? I wish we can go out and riot. Nobody's saying that. That's not the goal. It's It's a last resort. And if we cultivate it on a regular basis, that discipline where we can say, God, help me to hear anybody in my environment who needs to be heard. Help me to hear how they want to be heard, what's underneath that. And if I can address that Mm -hmm. elephant underneath, 
then it won't need to, there, there, won't, there won't even be a need to justify right. why I had the right to do it because now the feeling will be heard beforehand and we can reduce mm-hmm. a lot of that. So as far as empathy wise, how can I empathize with the unhealthy expression of feeling? Don't focus on that. Don't focus on just justifying that. Focus on empathizing with the feeling underneath. Yeah. Don't know that's it? Good. Well, then focus your efforts on finding out. That's, good. that's the challenge. Like, God, there's a feeling behind that. That's you good. put those feelings there. Help me to hear that. Help me to see that. Put me in an environment to find out. Help me learn how to go low and ask in a way that they don't feel confronted. They don't feel like I'm trying to push them down. They say, wait a minute, you actually want to hear me now? Well, maybe I can risk sharing. And then what you do after that changes the whole relationship. And there actually can be a potential for a relationship Mm -hmm. because two people are trying to feel hurt. So no, we don't have to justify actions as much as uh, validate the feelings underneath Mm -hmm. and it can change the whole trajectory of the relationship. That's what it is to be a peacemaker. I mean, now you can be part of the solution rather than just being part of the problem. Trouble is, is we're so polarized now that there's a certain segment of population, both on the right and the left, where if you even voice trying to understand the other side, they see it as condoning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because part of their identity, the narratives that they're living in, what makes them feel united and feel good about their their, their views is that they're against that. Right. And they, they want to focus on that. Look how terrible that is. Right. And, uh, and, and yeah, you become part of a cancel culture. Well, you know, look at the thing behind it. And they're right. like, no, so don't important. say anything positive about that. There's, right. They're the enemy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And as he put it, it's, it's, he said that um, he feels like this is like ruining the fabric of America. So he's just kind of blanket statementing yeah. some of it because he doesn't understand what's behind it. So I think that was so helpful. Thank you so much. And let's stay on this track a little bit because we are humans with emotions and feelings. That's the way we were created. We're not robots. And so we're not always going to be able to um, rightly respond right out of the gate because we are emotional. And so at Lambers, when our emotions do begin to erupt, when they do begin to feel big, how can we deal with that? We even had someone on the chat say, so what, is this just, just do thinking and avoid all emotion? So mm. yeah. <laughs> help us with What this, is wrong please. with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's a common challenge uh, because sometimes being emotional is viewed as a negative thing. Uh, you just run by your emotions. And there's, there's a challenge to, to respect the rider and the elephant uh, as, as, a, as a team and hopefully work together. But oftentimes we misunderstand things like, you know, uh, we, we shouldn't have a spirit, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. That doesn't mean we should judge our own fear or other people's fears. Like, oh, as soon as it comes, stop it. Uh, you know, I, I, sh- I shouldn't have it uh, because there's a function for that fear. There's a function for all of our feelings. We're feeling that way for a reason. If we take the time to understand why I'm feeling afraid, what, what that feeling is trying to protect me from, then we can address the fear and reassure the fear away as opposed mm-hmm. to judging the fear away, shaming the fear away. Uh, fear is not good in the, in, the, um, in the sense we should just be holding on to it, have a spirit of fear as much as it can be a temporary state to help us learn something about ourselves and then move forward to say, I don't have to be afraid because I can trust God. I can, uh, uh, these things are in place. These relationships are in place. You are not uh, what I fear you are. And I have a, a visual that usually comes into my head where I have a, a, a young man going to uh, see his uh, prom date for the first time, pick, pick, her, pick her up at the door. And so he gets out of the car, goes up to the gate. And, uh, and before he can open up the gate, there's a big guard dog, big 
Rottweiler or something. I love Rottweilers. Uh, so, but uh, coming up yelling at you, barking his head off uh, and, and trying to push you away. And we experience guard dog action, anger expressed mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways in daily life. And we have a few options. We can say one, I can bark back. You don't bark at me. I don't respect you. You want to bark at me? I'll bark right back at you. Mm. Won't get you very far. Uh, <laughs> you can say, look, um, I didn't sign up for this. It's barking is involved. If this anger is involved, I'm out and you can leave. Or you can acknowledge that that emotional dog, that emotional barking is a protective effort to make sure that threats don't get in. But if you can reassure the dog, I'm not the threat that you fear that I am. Mm-hmm. I am here to have a positive experience. I'm here to reassure you to have, a, to have a, a healthy relationship. Then the emotional dog, the emotional protector can then subside and say, come on in. And your, your, your prom day is right there at the door saying, hey, let, let, let's, let's go have some fun. But how can we anticipate that and see other people how great it would be to be able to see somebody reacting to you and then say, I see the guard dog action in, inside. Mm-hmm. You don't say it to their face. That might not work. <laughs> that but you say, I see, I see what you're trying dog. to do. Help. How can I reassure you that I'm not the fear, the, the, the threat that you fear that I am? And if you speak to the elephant, Ooh, that, yeah. that, that's how we, we put that together. I speak to the elephant, not the writer trying to justify. My, my feelings are legitimate. My anger is legitimate. Yes, it is if I was a threat, but since I'm not, and I don't have to yell at you that I'm a threat, because that just reinforces what is there, I can reassure you that I'm here to have a positive relationship. If you're willing to see that, then you can calm down, and, but I'm not gonna tell you to calm down, I'm gonna reassure yeah. your fear so that you can naturally do it, and you'll see, still here. I'm not running away, mm-hmm. I'm not yelling right back at you. I'm still here, and that is conveying love. That's humility, that's going low without being subservient, that's going respectful, and it stays very mm-hmm. consistent. So good. So good. Kevin, want to add a little to that? Yeah. uh, What's coming to my mind and when you're talking about speaking to that elephant is um, one of the passages in the Psalms that I use a lot for my own de-triggering or when I'm trying to, you know, help a conversation to go better. And it's got to do with speaking to the elephant. 3,000 years ago, the psalmist had this brilliant insight. So it's not modern day pop psychology. In Psalm 42, the psalmist is finding himself depressed, discouraged, Mm. distressed. There's enemies that are coming against him, Israel, his family. There's a lot of threats going on. And so he's being very honest in the psalm about all of those things, and he's very disturbed and overwhelmed. And that partway through the psalm then, he shifts gears, and something, something happens where he starts to speak to, if you will, his elephant. He says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Mm. So instead of saying, well, just stop it, mm. or those nasty enemies, it's a validation of the emotion. And, and it's a redirecting of the perspective, and it's a broadening of the perspective. And so he says to himself, why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? And it's not an accusing why, it's a curious why. Mm-hmm. Why? What is going on? What's going on in your circumstance? How is that related to what's going on inside? And then what's the best thing to do about it? And he's validating the, the depression, the distress, the worry, the fear, and then saying, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And so the, the idea is that as you meet at the level of the emotion, and then you go to the level of the highest desires and the highest hopes. And, you, and that's where we're, our common humanity comes into play, where we're mm-hmm. below the level of our emotions, we're usually fighting. Our fights take place on that level of the emotions that are related to circumstances or threat, perceived threats. Um, and then we're trying to convince the other, but we're really trying to protect ourselves and even convince ourselves of our rightness. 
But in reality, what each of us needs to do is get underneath that emotion and say, well, what's the, what is my deepest longing? It, we tend to stay at this level of what do I want now? What am I demanding right now? Rather than what do I desire most? What do you want right now? What are you demanding right now? Well, what do you desire most? Mm-hmm. And I find that we desire the same things. On the deepest heart longing level, we desire, you said it already, Greg, each of us longs to be uh, to have our inherent worth and value validated and, and expressed. And we're trying to get that through sort of winning battles and winning arguments. But what we really want is a sense of inherent value, family belonging, emotional security. And, and every single one of us, no matter what the differences of opinion or position are, underneath that is the shared set of these deepest longings or desires that unite us. And we can use uh, meeting at the level of the emotion, understanding that emotion to get down to that level of desire, and that's where we're the same. Every human being is exactly the same on that level and what we desire the most instead of what we want now. So I find it's helpful for me to say, well, what am I wanting right now? What am I desiring most? What does she want right now? It, doesn't, it looks like an angry, you know, raging dog or a raging elephant, but what does she desire most? It's gonna be the same thing that I desire most. Mm. And from there, when we meet there in our common humanity, we're able to connect. And the beautiful mm-hmm. thing about that connection is when we fight, when we win a fight, so our, our amygdala triggers the, uh, the stress response, cortisol, adrenaline, and that ramps us up for a fight. And if we win a fight, what happens in our brain is dopamine is released, and we enjoy the good feeling of having won. And so we want that again, and so that reinforces fighting. So what's better than that dopamine release is the oxytocin release. Our brains are designed when we connect on that deep level of shared desires. Oxytocin is a neurotransmitter that's released in both of us. It's the mutual caring and mutual compassion brain chemical. And it's a really powerful feel-good experience. We're designed to experience. It's the mother nursing the infant. They're bonding, relational bonding. Powerful bonding happens from oxytocin. So beautifully, God has designed us for that, but we often settle for the dopamine rush and try to get it through winning a fight. But Connecting and compassion and connecting around our common humanity is way better. That's what God made us for. That's good. That's so good. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Trump's dopamine. 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 That's the takeaway. Trump's dopamine. Go for the oxytocin. Um, Yes. Thank you all for sharing questions via the chat. Thank you for sending them in. Thank you for texting them in. Um, And I think in closing, we just all need to acknowledge that what we're talking about here is not easy because if it were easy we'd all be doing it we'd all be functioning in this way um, and we'd all be respectful coming at each other with mutual respect and love however that's not the case we do have to learn how to deal with our big emotions we do have to learn how to deal with when we when we want to power over instead of power under and i think for me the way the way the lord has talked to me about this is to um, encourage me lovingly, sometimes <laughs> rebukingly, to say, Shauna, you have woundedness, and many times you're responding out of that woundedness. Yes. You're responding out of that hurt. Um, your experiences that caused that pain, that's how you're responding out of that, instead of out of the fact that I have um, healed that, I have restored that. And so I think we all need to take moments not just once, but we need to take those moments and offer our woundedness up yes. to the Lord and ask him to do his restorative work. And once we do that, then I feel like we can be in a place to begin to implement some of these practices that you guys have been teaching us about and talking to us about. And so that's my encouragement to us today is recognize that we are wounded, but not only that, usually the person that we're coming up against 
also has woundedness and that needs to be dealt with. And so again, it's that common humanity. We all come, and you've talked about this, Greg, we all come from a place of brokenness. We all have wounds in our life and we need to deal with those so that we can move forward and have these dialogues in a more kingdom way. I I, I, I like to just add a word word on that. That's brilliant and that's absolutely true. I think most of our deepest fears are a, a, a protective response based on something that's happened to us. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, once we have an experience and, and lock in a message at whatever age it is, it becomes part of our autopilot, our mm-hmm. automatic response to things. And, and uh, so you might even be puzzled. Why do I always get fearful in this situation? Why do I always get angry in that situation? Well, if you trace that back, there's, there's probably a wound that, that, that is there. And uh, I think it's so important then to always be in a healing mode, a receptive mode to the Lord's healing process. Uh, one great way to do that is by having times where uh, you invite the Holy Spirit to uh, use your imagination, which is uh, in the church tradition was called the, the inner sanctum, the place where we encounter God in concrete, real ways. And um, uh, ask Jesus to come in and re- have a visit to some maybe traumatic memories. And, and invite the Lord in this process. Sometimes it's good to have a, a counselor who will lead you through this. Other times you can do it on your own, but just invite Jesus into the bad stuff to let him start bringing the good stuff uh, so that you're not always living in that protective mode. And the final thing I say is, this is, this is a kind of one string fiddle we play all the time around here because it's the foundation of everything. But that process of inviting Jesus in and experiencing that, that healing is part of the whole thing of getting your life and worth mm-hmm. uh, from, 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 from Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all need human beings. To, to, we all need to feel like we belong and we're part of, uh, you know, we need the love of other human beings for sure. But the deepest needs of that elephant can only be met by God's love. Uh, in fact, that's why it's there. It's created as a homing device to lead us back to him. And, and uh, so it's like St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage folks to uh, spend time in prayer where you just are seeing and hearing and experiencing Jesus say to you all the things he says about you in scripture, but now it's personalized and it's concrete and it's, it's, it's vivid, it's experiential, and that brings healing. And that also just anchors your identity in something that can't be taken away from you. It can't, it can't be threatened. Uh, it, it's, it's always there because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. And that should be the anchor of our soul. Amen to that. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, let your heart be anchored in the love of Jesus. Let him call you by your true name. Allow him to come in and heal and restore. And then walk that out in your life. And if we all do that <laughs> step by step, we will get closer to what it means to truly be a part of his kingdom here on earth. Amen. Thank you all again for joining us. Thank you, Lambers. It was so great to have you. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. Your insights are always so helpful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Greg. We super appreciate it. Rounds of applause for everyone. Remember, if you have prayer needs, we invite you to go into the Zoom prayer rooms. Don't log off before you connect with someone in prayer. You can also join us on Tuesday afternoon for the Musecast where we continue this conversation. And also you can discuss the sermons every week in our gathering groups. Have a wonderful rest of your week, guys. Bless you guys.